Sorry there, John. Um, That's okay. It looks like um, looks like Jeremiah is going to be late. Um, he's, a, he's an old man with a lot of pain. I'll, I'll introduce him for now. In your Bibles, uh, there's a lot of history books and prophetic books. These are called the major prophets. But of course, Lamentations... Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah, of course, but he also wrote Lamentations, the destruction of Jerusalem. This has got a little bit of an order you have on your timeline. But um, the major prophets in yellow, but uh, Jeremiah started his ministry of, with Babylon, of course, Lamentations is during the exile there. Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet. There's a reason for that. It's been said his heart was broken, so he ended up writing a broken book. It's very, the order of the book is kind of interesting. He was the son of a priest, then allowed to marry, but we won't get into that. He was threatened, tried for his life, put in stocks, forced to flee, publicly humiliated, thrown into a cistern, despised and persecuted. Lamentations, which Jeremiah also wrote, I always picture him, as I've said in Sunday school, I picture him sitting on a rock in front of destroyed Jerusalem, writing this. It's called a five chapters. It's called that book of Lamentations, which is in your Bibles right after Jeremiah. It's like called the five chapters as a five-poem dirge of a funeral song. The scenes were written by someone who saw it, witnessed the destruction. In our Bible, um, Jeremiah is mentioned in Kings, Second Kings, in those chapters, and in, in Chronicles. Um, it's also thought as on your thing that actually Jeremiah wrote books of First and Second Kings. They think Ezra wrote Chronicles, but they think Jeremiah later on actually wrote that. His contemporary prophets were Zephaniah and Habakkuk before the exile, and Ezekiel and Daniel, kind of during and after. And it says, uh, "Man said a greater concentration of writing prophets existed just before the fall of Judah than any other time in biblical history." Baruch, of course, was Jeremiah's scriber, amanuensis, kind of the fancy term. And was with Jeremiah, I believe, most of his ministry and basically penned his words. Kind of like, uh, like Luke was with the Apostle Paul, is kind of an analogy there. In part of Jeremiah's calling, God said something very interesting. We've talked about earlier about fortified cities. You know, what do you, what do, you do for, if you want to be safe and strong in this environment, in the, that old environment, you would be in a walled city. That's safety. Big walls. God says something very interesting to Jeremiah. He says, now behold, Jeremiah, God speaking, I have made you today as a fortified city. And it's a pillar of iron and its walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They, were, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So there's, there's an irony here which is deep, which goes down through decades. Because the fortified cities were where you would be safe. Jerusalem, the fortified cities, where you'd be safe. But where's safety? Well, God tells Jeremiah, you are a fortified city, implying in this case that you will not be conquered. As opposed to Jerusalem, the northern tribes. Some other comments. Judging by Jeremiah's autobiographical remarks and the, narrow, the narrative information, his life is one long martyrdom. He had probably encountered more opposition. We, we, we heard from um, Elijah, 
and the prophets. He probably encountered more opposition than anybody else. Why is he a weeping prophet? It's more than just the people. It's his life. He had this bizarre message from God. Sometimes messages from God are bizarre. That people were supposed to submit to the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. Because that was God's will. It was God bringing these people, as God told Habakkuk the prophet. God is bringing this horrible, evil cancer. Guess what? That's God bringing that. God, in fact, God takes credit for the whole thing. So you can imagine Judah didn't like that message. No braver, more tragic figure ever trod the stage of Israel's history than the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was hated, jeered at, ostracized, continually harassed, and more than once almost killed. Oh, Jeremiah's here. Show some respect, please. How you doing, Brother Jeremiah? Let's start the interview out with our first question. In what period of Israel and Judah's history did you live in prophecy? Well, it was right at the time of, uh, you heard of evil King Manasseh. Kind of right at the time he died, it's right about the time I was born. And um, he, I was probably about the same age as King Josiah, although he wasn't king yet. He was, he's the, the grandson of Manasseh. But uh, that's, when I, that's when I was born, and then I really started prophesying right down to the time of King Josiah. He was actually a good king. But I lived all the way down many decades. I, I did this for God. I served the Lord and prophesied for decades, and uh, all the way down through the brutal exile that God, when God brought destruction upon his people because of what they had done for centuries. Jeremiah, what was the biggest event that you witnessed as a prophet? Well, again, the, uh, uh, as an event, you think of something that happened that you saw is the, the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, the, when God, God called as his, as, his, as his hand, which is a scary thought, isn't it? This is God's hand coming to destroy me. When God called Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come destroy the people of Judah, the Assyrians had done it previously for Assyria, but now it's Judah's time. And he called him to destroy it. Um, it it, it kind of it didn't happen in, originally. Then because it wasn't necessarily going to destroy everything, but we kept rebelling. And so the exile happened in three phases. But in the third phase, it's like Nebuchadnezzar had, had enough, and he destroyed Jerusalem. And I saw the whole thing. Exile, you know, you know, Daniel in exile, some of these other guys, wonderful people, by the way. Um, they were younger contemporaries of mine, but they 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 were taken into exile. You know, Daniel was like, can we talked about Isaiah? He's kind of like a Harvard guy. Well, Daniel's the same kind of a thing. Very highly educated man. And, but they, and Ezekiel, they were taken in exile. But I was never taken in exile. I was allowed to stay home. So I, I, I stayed in Judah the whole time, and I saw the whole disaster firsthand. That's why I wrote Lamentations. Jeremiah, how long were you a prophet, and did you enjoy your life as a prophet? <sighs> um, that's a hard question. Okay. God says he called me from my birth. And then he, you know, but when I was later, I was a little older, when my, you know, official calling started, um, you know, I was excited about it, and I said, I, I don't know what to say, Lord, how, you know, help me here. It almost sounds like Moses a little bit, you know, but I don't know what to say, and you know, he's, he'll speak through me. You can imagine I was pretty excited about it, and you, you tell me, how are you going to feel if you go 40 years being hated and mocked? Everybody hates you, from the low person to the king and the prophets. They all hate you for 40 years. You're going to be fun games, maybe? 
I said, I said something not so good. The Lord said, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nation. I said, those are the words of God. And I was, I was okay with that. But after living it, I said this to God in response. Remember, he consecrated me from my mother's womb. This is what I had. To, this is what I said back to God years later. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father saying, a baby boy has been born and made my father happy. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting. And let that man hear and not cry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon. Because he did not kill me before my birth. So that my mother would have been my grave. And her womb ever pregnant with my dead body. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? That's what I said back to God decades later. I had a hard life. Jeremiah, of the many important messages that God gave you, do any stand out? Well, of course, there's so many. Jeremiah, I brought so many words and lamentations and horrible lamentations. And uh, Jeremiah, well, God's judgment was so repetitive. That's the obvious one. The destruction that was coming. And people just, maybe they understood, maybe they didn't. The destruction, the ruthless destruction that was coming. And they just didn't think it was going to happen. However, you remember Isaiah, a wonderful, wonderful man, talked about the hope that was coming and the Messiah and all these wonderful things. Well, God gave me a special message. Uh, hard to understand sometimes. But he, he said this to me. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. In other words, if, if a father has sins, his, his son won't bear the consequences. That's kind of what that means. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. Now, here's, here's the interesting part. Now, this is like 600 B.C. to, to y'all's dating methods. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. You know, you know Moses. My covenant, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, I don't completely understand that, but I know it's important. And I understand that in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament, they quote that and actually say the Mosaic Covenant, at this point, 600 B.C. was becoming obsolete. It's just mind-blowing. We've been with the Mosaic Covenant for almost 1,000 years. And yet, God's doing something new. So, that stood out. Thank you, John. Your timelines, we're kind of at the... At the Junction of the two pages there. Well, turn your page over. This is right after Isaiah, so good timing. And importantly, one thing to remember in this, in this context of Jeremiah and the prophets and the kings is that 
Assyria, where the previous king, had destroyed the northern ten tribes of Israel. They had been destroyed. They're eradicated. They're absorbed. They're, they're gone. They're not lost ten tribes. They are the gone ten tribes. But, as um, Isaiah told us there, Jerusalem really had been miraculously saved from this boastful Assyrian king. So they thought they were pretty special. Now they kind of were, but they kind of weren't. It kind of goes both ways. So you can imagine a little bit of arrogance there when God protects them, but they had been saved. So this is the prehistory of Jeremiah. This is before Jeremiah. Okay, this is just right before. Israel, remember, the northern ten tribes has been destroyed by Assyria. Judah, the southern two tribes, and again, this goes back to the Civil War in 900 B.C., and we're talking kind of more like 620 B.C. or whatever it is. Judah, the southern two tribes, were saved from Assyria by miraculous destruction in the Assyrian army, as we just heard about this morning. Although Jerusalem and the temple were saved, Judah and Jerusalem were faltering. Everything around them had been destroyed. Jerusalem was saved, but they're not doing that great. Hezekiah, a good king, is in a weak position. He's a good king, but it's in a weak position. And remember, at this point, all Old Testament kings, you hear a king, after this point, they're all kings of Judah because there is no Israel to be king of. It's, it's gone. It's been destroyed. There, any king after this is a king of Judah. And this is, of course, if you look in your timeline, this is the rise of evil King Manasseh, son of Hezekiah. And this is, this is one of the interesting, tragic tales of the Bible, is how many times you have a good king with evil sons. The rise of evil King Manasseh, economically and politically, he did pretty well. Because remember, Hezekiah and things were not doing very well after the Assyrians <clears throat> had kind of destroyed everything around them. They weren't doing that great. However, Manasseh, quote, rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So was, where's Manasseh's heart? Thus Manasseh misled Judah to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Very, in fact, he's kind of considered the top, is kind of like the negative top, the top of the top as far as evil. He burned his own children as sacrifices to Moloch. I heard it described thus. There's this bronze or metal thing sitting there like this. They put a fire underneath it. They get it so it's red hot. You take your newborn child. You put it on there to burn to death. And so that nobody hears the child, you strike up the band so we can all party at the same time. See, then you don't hear the child being burned to death. So that's what Manasseh does. That's what he did. However, based upon prosperity, looking at the prosperity at the time, things were doing well. They were getting back on their feet. Looks like evil was working. Hezekiah, the good king, I've heard speakers talk about this. They, he, it, things didn't go so great. They were saved, but things weren't so great. But Manasseh comes in. He starts getting things romping and going, and he's evil, and things are looking, looking up. Just the question is, is, how do you define looking up? Is it the economy's great, or is it the people are evil? In worldly standards, things were doing not, not so bad. So that's before Jeremiah, right before Jeremiah. So there's Manasseh, his son, Ammon, who was assassinated. We'll learn about that in a second. And then Josiah, the good king. And on your thing there, there's the two kings right there. Uh, Ammon is not on there. Jeremiah is born around the time of the death of King Manasseh, the, again, king of Judah. There's no kings of Israel at this point anymore. And now something interesting, which you can go read about if you want. The king Manasseh, Mr. Evil there, he repented near the end of his life after the Lord made Manasseh experience his own type of mini-exile and return. And that's a real interesting, it's almost like is God making this metaphor of King Manasseh? That's, you can read that yourself. 2 Chronicles 33. 
Ammon, son of Manasseh, was king for a short time, but was assassinated. And then the people of Judah killed the assassins. And then they took Josiah and made him king. He was made king in the eight. He was a good son. He was righteous. And he had some, some of the commentators say he had very good influences in his life. And he eventually, more like when he was like 20 years old, I think it's like the 12th year of his reign, is where he started importing, started having important reforms and started tearing down all this evil stuff which Manasseh had put back up again. He's tearing it down again. And Jeremiah was probably pretty close in age to Josiah. They're probably pretty close in age. Now, this is interesting. Here's, here's one of the things we're doing in this, our prophecy thing, is to get a perspective, rather than just kind of the facts, a perspective. I've always thought that this point gives a lot of perspective. During the temple renovation, so Jeremiah is doing his thing, Hilkiah, the high priest, and they think, that's the name of Jeremiah's dad, who was a priest. So they think this, Jeremiah's dad may have discovered this book, but they're renovating the temple, and Jeremiah, Hilkiah's, Jeremiah's father, discovered the Mosaic Law, which had been, lo- had been lost. Like, that's like us having a church service for a couple of years, and the, the elders and the pastor going, Bible? What Bible? What do you mean Bible? We teach our own stuff. Bible? What do you mean Bible? Or the Congress losing the Constitution. Going, Constitution? What's that? I've never heard of that before. How, how is this possible? What does that tell you about the people of Judah? They lost the writings of Moses. How do you do that? What does that say about the previous Israelites? Kings, priests, prophets, people who had viewed the documents of God's covenant with Moses and Israel. How could the Pentateuch be lost? And then, good King Josiah, he eventually goes and fights somebody, kind of does something stupid apparently, and gets killed. And after King Josiah died, Judah and Jerusalem quickly rejected the reforms of Josiah the good king and went back to their pagan ways. In other words, legislation does not change a people. 